Welcome back to Drilling Down, everyone. I'm going to make this our last in this series, but it's a good one. Man, I'm seeing Dr. Laura Sanger's uh, name pop up now all over conferences for speaking engagements, and uh, it's pretty cool. I got to turn a lot of these people nationally onto her, which is awesome. Welcome back to Drilling Down. Yeah, rock it. Oh, oh. Yeah. Eliza like a raindrops falling from above Never knowing where to stop, we're never finding love In our hopes of sacrifice and greed Wouldn't that be great if I did that every episode? Welcome back to my old habits I was a rapper, guys Alright, hey, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia Where I am hanging out here uh, at my hotel on a day Sunday when I saw the inspectors that I could A lot of them are off today so I said, hey, let's get this baby wrapped up here because I got a lot of just one-offs that I want to do, you know, on weird stuff, on really cool stuff, not, not long series like this. All right. So uh, <laughs> I was just going to tell you guys something, but I won't. I've been listening to a lot of great podcasts. Oh, there's one which I always love, Blurry Photos. If you guys don't know the guys over at Blurry Photos, it's again, it's another, it's, you know, everybody's got an interview style show, which is cool because you can have world-class authors and thinkers and that kind of thing on, which is, which is awesome. And I almost went that route forever uh, just because it's easy to get content out. I don't have to write as much stuff. And I, then I was, in the end, I was like, why would I do that? Everybody else has that. Not, not that I'm, can't be like everybody else, but I, it's available out there. I'd just be another outlet of the same people who come around the same podcast circuits and, uh, you know, nothing, nothing, uh, original. Although like my, my point is those things are really good. And I love to have those, uh, episodes out there or, the, or those podcasts out there that I listen to, uh, go back and I don't know, check out my, uh, I don't remember what number of episode it was, but I, I basically told you all the podcasts that I listen to is I'm just randomly driving around. A lot of you have uh, messaged me on Facebook or DMs wherever and randomly told me, you know, thank you for suggesting this one, this one, this one. Uh, so those are all out there. But my point is, is that Blurry Photos did a great one with Timothy Alberino. I remember we covered his book Birthright here. And uh, it was just the other day, go look that up. I don't remember which episode from them, what number it is, but you're going to see Timothy Aberino's name right there on Blurry Photos a couple weeks ago. And I thought that was a very, very, just a just a well-spelled out about what has happened before the flood and after the flood and the Ice Age and the Younger Dryas that, you know, is all the rage right now with Graham Hancock's new, uh, what's it called on Netflix, whatever. So anyway, I'm going to keep it this the way that I do this, but, um, you know, doing like a book like this, six or seven episodes, it's a commitment, uh, you know, and I, I really, cause it, it's almost harder for me. It's, it is harder for me to parse through on, on something like this, what I am going to tell you and what I am going to leave through the book than it is for me to just write my entire, you know, episode of, of whatever the topic's going to be on that one. Uh, so anyway, I got some really fun stuff coming up, you guys that are just going to be one-offs that you'll be able to listen to. Um, and, uh, if you, again, if you got any suggestions, drilling down podcast at gmail.com. Anything you'd like on the show or you'd like read on the show, anything about um, some topics that you want to hear. So anyway, let me get in here. I got my um, my uh, Yeti X microphone that I take on the road with me because I can just simply plug it in so I don't have the buttery voice of the Shure SM7B and the Rodecaster Pro. Amazing outfit. All right. So this is what you get. It's better than my iPhone. Remember when I used to do that when I was traveling? <laughs> We've come a long way here drilling down. All right. Uh, anyway. Oh, and I think um, I think Tony Merkel had uh, Timothy Aberino on not too long ago I, on his Confessionals podcast, which is another one I put out there when I told you guys what I listened to. So check that out. Um, all right. So I did – I actually, just a personal note, I did reach out to Tony Merkel uh, just the other day. So I haven't heard back from him yet, but – Reached out to him and said, hey, you know, if uh, 
if you ever want, because he's kind of doing this network of shows now um, that are that are focused on basically what I do, but much less biblical components to it, where mine has more of a biblical component, even though you're like, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, so I reached out to him and said, hey, you know, if, if you want to consider drilling down to be part of your Merkel media, you know, let's talk. He's just over, he just moved to Knoxville recently, so he's not even that far from me. Uh, so, you know, we might be merging and doing something cool uh, with those those kind of episodes. And w- what that brings, it doesn't bring anything monetarily to me. I don't, I don't do this for money. I don't want money for this. Once I get into that realm, then I have to produce a certain amount. And again, I've, you know, I can't do that because I have a real job, <laughs> a big boy job where I travel the, the nation and, uh, and, you know, work as a, as a, a manager for 850 different ins- inspectors for storm damage around the country. So I, uh, you know, I got that to do, but this is on the side, but you know, even if I, what, what helps coming along on podcasts like that or a group is that we do these things where, you know, on any given episode, we'll all be in here from wherever we live, but you hear us all in your ears as if we were in the same room and we're talking about random topics and you just get more, you get exposure to those other podcasts, you get exposure to those other guests and their beliefs and uh, pretty cool. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see where that goes. I don't know if it's going to go anywhere. Uh, he, Tony's really busy right now. These guys, this is a full-time gig and I'm kind of jealous because they, they're bringing out all the podcasts. They've, they're putting out films on you, YouTube, you know, which is stuff that I used to love to be into. And they're getting to travel to all these different places and, you know, check them out and report live from there. It's just really cool. But again, it's not my, uh, it's not my calling. So this is what you people get. <laughs> All right, back to the book. Uh, we are definitely going to close it out on this one. I don't care how long it takes. I just can't, I can't stay on this any longer. So, but it is just, gosh dang, like I told you, Laura Sanger is popping up everywhere. I see her at conferences. I see her, you know, different podcasts I listen to are, are having her on now. So this is pretty cool. That I definitely was, uh, I have to admit, I might've been the first one to get on this train before she started blowing up. So, all right. Um, so she, she starts talking about Zionism towards, you know, as the end here. And what she's going to do is she's going to paint, um, historically the Rothschilds as Zionists. And so, uh, I don't want to get heavily into Zionism. It's highly debated these days. I don't want to, I don't get heavily into that. Uh, but you know, there are many podcasters in my genre that fully believe Israel, the Israelites are evil and the Jews are running the world. Now, I can understand why they're saying what they're saying. And again, modern day Israel, friends, is not good. It is not biblical. Uh, it is, it is, uh, they're terrible people. Okay. But, but God's people rest somewhere within there and he's going to pull out that remnant. All right. You know, all that drill. Um, so that you know, there's an idea of uh, the evil side of Israel, and that's what a lot of these podcasters like to get into. And if you started covering the world's wealthiest people and the people who are running, you know, I mean, <laughs> you just <laughs> you can, you can go back to even like the the 9/11 series that I did, you know, and and just how many Steins are running the world and Lieberman and you know names that end uh, that are clearly Jewish money. It's uh, it's a cabal, man. But again, you have to understand that cabal is real. That is a real, and I mean real, evil side of the nation of Israel and what they believe right now. So what she's going to do is she is going to straight up start calling that out. All right. Uh, remember, the, the Jewish people today don't believe in Jesus at all. So... It's not going great for them in terms of, uh, you know, national Christianity. So she even she even talks a little about the Jewish star. Now, if you picture this, the flag of Israel, um, this is a listener show, so you can't see it, but you've got the white flag with the blue bars on the top and the bottom and the blue star of David right in the middle, right? Well, she does a great job of even saying the star of David, This there's nothing about what we're seeing in modern day Israel. There's there's nothing about how what they take as their symbols that has anything to do with 
with Christianity, and this is going to show itself in the end times. And the Star of David, she goes back and she shows that it has nothing to do with David. David, it's they say, they claim it's the shield of David, but it's not. It came along later, and it came along through pagan rituals. David says clearly in Psalm 28.7 that his shield is the Lord. David wanted nothing to do with anything like this, but yet now we have that six-pointed uh, star that's, uh, you know, clearly she goes into how it's not a Jewish symbol. It dates back to ancient times. Uh, and she talks about it actually being from sacrificial, uh, sacrificial, really bad blood offerings to uh, lowercase gods. Uh, in the Greek times, obviously Moloch, you know, but how it really is supposed to symbolize Saturn. And we've done a lot on that. And so, you know, Saturn, this is the six-point Jewish star, but Saturn, obviously, is the sixth planet from the sun. And on the North Pole of Saturn is that crazy hexagon, which is a six-pointed star. And Saturday, which they worship on, is the sixth day of the week, and it's all named in honor of Saturn. So she does this really cool job. Get the book. But uh, yikes. And so she she's starting to look at it, she really traces that back to Nimrod, okay, and <clears throat> how all the origins of how they worship, and this is going to be, you know, this is going to bring about the Antichrist in the end, has everything to do with, uh, you know, the, the worship of Kronos and Saturn. Uh, now, obviously, we're not talking about in the, you know, as, as Israel forms as a nation, you have the Old Testament, that is Yahweh, right? That is Yahweh clearly leading his people. We're talking about after it all just starts falling away, right? In the towards the end of the New Testament, what we have before uh, the Old Testament, I'm sorry, what we have is just Israel getting decimated, just king after king. I mean, they're a terrible nation by the end of the Old Testament. They're a terrible nation, just kings after kings. Even Israel and Judah are split. Judah still has some good kings, but it just gets worse, 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 worse. Israel never has a good king. The northern kingdom doesn't. So it's just a mess of other gods. And one king would pop up here or here, Asa or, you know, Josiah, you know, whatever. You'd have a good king that would pop up and and you'd be able to, Hezekiah, you'd be you'd be able to restore some semblance, you know, and tear down the altars. But in the end, they just wanted those lowercase gods too much. That's all they wanted. And these things are born out of those times and that worship, the things that make up the cabal of Judaism today, who she's tying obviously to the Rothschilds. Um, there's a name for you, the Jewish name for you. Um, and, and trying to show where those gods filter themselves into the money of the world. Does that make sense? I guess I want to say that the right way. Um, so I'm going to skip the stuff on Zionism here. It might take me a second because she, what she does is she ties it into the Rothschilds and she does it really well. Um, again, I want to try to get through this thing and, and, uh, and close it up for us. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know how she's going to end up, you know, on the, on the circuit from here on out. I don't know if she's going to be a big hit forever or if she's going to kind of come and go. Cause I've seen this, I've seen this with different people. Uh, but I think, and I, I think from the numbers on this series that you guys are showing me, uh, it's very high. You're very interested in this. This is, uh, this is something really interesting that she does. I think, I think I'll mostly remember her for the epigenetic side of things. Um, but the digging even here is she's going into Talmudism and Zionism and she's doing this, you know, she goes heavy. She goes hot in the paint, guys. She goes hard in the paint on the Rothschilds and the shifts and, uh, everybody that, that we could name as being the beginning of this, having those Zionistic roots. Um, and so I think that could keep her going for a while, but, uh, holy cow. She's talking about the, where this, where this, you know, the, the, the goal, the whole thing is, is Jesus comes and he's like King of the Jews, right? And they kill him and he doesn't convert Judaism into now Christianity, Judaism just keeps going along as if Jesus never existed and the whole New Testament never existed. I mean, they killed him, but you know what? So, I mean, this is crazy, but I don't want to go down the rabbit hole on this. Jesus really came to start Christianity because Judaism never changed. Now, in the end, he's going to save a remnant and they're going to come back to him because they are his chosen people. We do not replace 
Israel. I do not hold replacement theology. But we're also not talking about the, the modern day nation of Israel in its completeness because they are wicked, right? But she goes back in and she talks about how that split happened in the Pharisees and the Sadducees and where that basically where that um ends up intersecting with everyone who is on Jekyll Island, <laughs> which is fascinating if you're a history nerd. Um, she goes into a few bullet points here that I will read. Her key points are, boy, this might this might not some of these might not make sense to you because I moved through this Zionistic uh, side of it. But um, key points, there's five or six of them. Here we go. Zionism refers to a national movement of Jewish people returning to the land of Israel for the creation of a sovereign Jewish state, which we saw in 1948. Next one. Not all Jews are Zionists, and many Jews are opposed to Zionism. Most Zionists are Jews. Next. The Star of David has its origins in Nimrod and has been an occult symbol throughout the ages. It is a symbol used in the Rothschild's family crest. True. Not that I tell you that. Edmund de Rothschild established Jewish colonies within Palestine. <laughs> cool. He was an oppressive authoritarian overlord. Not cool. Uh, Dorotha uh, D. Rothschild introduced Kame Waysman and Lord Balfour, which I skipped in this section, which later proved pivotal in the establishment of the state of Israel. So she's just looking at the how these things were constructed. All right, I'll go on. Uh, the Rothschild land grab of the most fertile area in Palestine led to a nearly a century of displacement for the Palestinians. Not all Zionists understand the hidden agenda of Zionism. It operates similar to a secret society in that only the elite Zionists in the inner circle are aware of the agenda for global domination. Babylonian Talmud has shaped Zionism. Talmud elevates Jews above other human beings. Therefore, non-Jews do not enjoy the same basic rights of property, fair wages, liberty, life, and the pursuit of happiness. Talmud condones the practice of defrauding others through the use of false weights and measures, usury of those who are idol worshippers, i.e. Christians in their minds, and the usage of deceptive, deceptive schemes in order to confiscate money. So obviously you can tell what she's doing there is she's setting up this whole why who ended up on Jekyll Island and why the Federal Reserve got started in the way that it did. And she just goes deep. She goes deep. So she shifts in chapter 20 back to the inhabitants of Jekyll Island. And she's waiting to, you know, she's starting to, to point back to where this actual happened, actually happened, and how the Europeans began arriving on, arriving on the shores there in around 16, uh, 1562, excuse me. Uh, it's, she talks about the, the governmental structure, the physical appearance. Uh, these people were noteworthy. So again, you'll, I think, I think they covered this a little bit in blurry photos in Timothy Alberino's episode the other day, but, um, these, these people were strangely tall in stature and they're really muscular. Now we're not, we're not, you know, again, the giants, uh, of the antediluvian age never came back again. So there were some, there were some big boys, um, a little bit after the flood, which we've, we've mentioned all throughout the Levant there, the promised land that they had to get rid of. And then David's men ended up finishing them off for good. So since then, there aren't really like giants, but when we're talking taller, if you're indigenous people are average, like five, five, and then you have an entire, well, I'd just say group of people that are all, you know, six and a half foot to seven foot. That's a pretty big deal. Very different. I know when I go to, uh, well, I mean, even uh, Central America, I've been down there quite a bit. Everybody's short down there. I feel like a giant. I'm only six foot, <laughs> you know? So uh, it's it's just, it's kind of weird, man. But if I went to, um, if I went to the Netherlands, because the Dutch are all really tall. So if I went there, I feel, I feel like an idiot. I'll tell you what, guys. There's nothing that makes guys just feel stupid than standing next to a stupid tall guy. And I think anything above, I'd say anything above like 6'4 starts getting stupid. And then you get to the 6'6", 6'7", and you're just standing next to him. You're like, this is dumb. I'm going to freaking leave, man. Yeah. No offense to you guys that are like five foot two. Hey man, that's cool. Super cool. 
So she's talking about how these people in general were taller. So now she's going to deep dive and she's thinking she's going like maybe six, six is where she's um, for the most part, six to seven. She said that we have skeletons there up to eight feet, which as you know, tons of these skeletons were found even up through the 1800s. Right. And then, uh, and then bye-bye even have many newspaper articles about them everywhere. So she's going to deep dive into the uh, Temecwins. I would call them Temecwins and their dialects, where they come from, what customs they have. Now, I'm a Native American nerd, man. I'm jealous, guys, beyond belief that uh, I don't get to do any of that because I suck. I don't have any Native American in me, and I'm bummed. My uh, brother-in-law, Jason Tucker, you know, who I started helped start church with up in up in Michigan there, and he's still up there pastoring churches, um, killing it up there. But he's like seminal, and... Not so much that when you look at him, you know, there's some Native Americans you just look at and you're like, yeah. I mean, as I travel the country, I end up in Native American land and reservations all the time at gas stations where they are speaking fluent, you know, Crow or Algonquin or Navajo. Like they do it. They And it's so different sounding. It's really cool. But you hear, you know, out and about, you'll hear Chinese, um, you know, you'll hear Spanish everywhere, you know, so you. You hear these things, Italian and French, oh, all, but then you hear this Native American and it's crazy because it's so much, uh, I believe, older, number one. And uh, number two, uh, I believe that, you know, they, they don't structure their words in the same way. So you'll go in a gas station, you're like, that's not Spanish. What is that? So, but then they also look very Native American. Well, Jason doesn't look like that, but he's he's got a good amount of seminal in him. And his daughter, Michaela, looks like Pocahontas. So he failed because I told him, you idiot, you can get like, he could have gotten so much money and free college. But then you'd have to do like a 23andMe and then, you know, they're going to know where they live. Then they're going to hunt your uh, relatives down for being serial killers. It's just how it works, guys. Uh, you want to get your, you want to get your panties blown off, uh, go and listen to, ah, crap. It wasn't, it wasn't too long ago, but I told you about tinfoil hat with Sam Tripoli, right? That podcast has been going on. I've been listening to them for like four or five years and yeah, that can get new agey. It can get out there. Um, it can get crude a little bit, but whatever. I I've loved it for a long time and they just had one. Uh, I don't feel like looking through it on my, um, on my, my notes here. Um, but just go to, go to tinfoil hat and you're going to find it. It's on Brian Mitchell. Actually, a friend of mine texted or inboxed me and said, man, this one was awesome. I was like, I know it was just a few ago. You're going to see something about Florida on there. And I can't remember the rest of it, but basically you're going to see an indigenous person. Well, I guess I'll use that word lightly after listening to this episode, but you will get your panties blown off. So go back and listen to that. Uh, when you get a chance, I don't remember. Here, I'll just look at it. Gosh, dang it. The things I do for you people, I actually pick it up my phone now. All right, let's see here. Because I texted Brandon Harris this the other day and said, you got to listen to this episode. So I'm going to go back to Brandon's text right here. It is. Okay. Okay. Uh, All right. So it's Tinfoil Hat episode number 630. Again, another great thing about doing interview shows is you can just bang them out. Gosh, I'd love to be at show number 630 instead of whatever I'm at. Loser. All right, it's called The Moors. Oh, that's right, M-O-O-R-S. The Moors of America in Old World Florida with Dr. Narco Longo. Uh, let me just, I, I did turn this on to Derek Gilbert, who you know from a few from the Bunker podcast and a lot of books. I've even covered some of his books on here, but I I reached out to him the other day and sent him that episode and said, hey, man, can you... Can you check this out anytime you're on your next two-hour road trip? And uh, it's a fire hose of what is happening here. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he goes hard on, well, I won't give it away. But it's, it has to do with Native Americans. And uh, it's a real panty splitter. Does that make, is that a, is that a word? So anyway, she's talking about Native Americans. And uh, 
She's just talking about the Timaquins and how uh, they look to the sun for protection, victory, harvest, prosperity, you know, consistent with the worship of the sun. So now she's back to the circumpunks being displayed in their rituals, their ceremonies, their village life, what their chief wore, how they went to battle. And uh, she starts tying some of these things, all their rituals and all that, uh, into what we had talked about. Basically, remember that? Basically, uh, sorcery. Child sacrifice was a big deal to them. Uh I'll read a little expert here. This is unusual. Oh, this is an unusual custom. Yeah, for Native American tribes, like that wasn't. This isn't usually what we see in there. Now we we might see like a a, a sect of the uh, Comanches coming in and killing their rival tribes and killing their children and just wiping out the entire teepee village, right? But we don't see child sacrifice to their gods. That's not one. That's not their thing. That's more of a Paracan thing. The Aztecs and all that. And then obviously back into the biblical times with the, the gods. So she says this whole aspect is um, unusual for Native American tribes. Uh, McLeod William Christie documents in a 1931 journal article that there have been 10 Native American tribes that have engaged in child sacrifice. Most commonly, the sacrifices were made for proportional, uh, a proportional of offended spirits, I see. A few tribes sacrificed children to their gods as a form of worship. Unique to the Timaquans was that they sacrificed the firstborn son and the sacrifice was made to the tribal chief. The Encyclopedia of Religion and Ethics states, quote, the Indians of Florida sacrificed their firstborn children to the son or to the chief as a child of the son, unquote. Child sacrifice has its origins in Canaanite cults, as you know, back in the book of Leviticus, and really bad stuff happened. So she kind of breaks that out. She talks about their victor ceremonies when they when they got a victory and uh, some crazy things they would do to come into this circumpunct deal. And remember, when we go back to the beginning of this, this um, series, however long ago that was, we were talking about ancient ley lines, and we were talking about how different areas of the country and spaces can be, um, you know, the world would say haunted. Some other ones might say um, cursed, but can be under the dark oppression of some of these entities, some of these, um, some of these rulers and principalities. And she's she's saying what she's building up to is that all these things these people were doing were very, we might use the word satanic, even though they weren't looking at Satan as Satan, but what they were doing was very what those gods were asking for. And it's absolutely uh, a supernatural power source that was radiating like a power line, she even says. And the center pole was right in this specific area. She does some DNA uh tracing with these guys and then she puts the pieces together with uh how evil the ground can be at Jekyll Island. Now uh I can't remember if I talked about this or not or if I was I know I was talking to Rachel about this. Oh yeah, because she was the, her and my son Kason, we were traveling back to Toledo to see our family. That's what it was for Christmas and we had like three hours to burn. And they were asking some things about the end times. And I said, have, you know, have you guys ever listened to my episode 69? Nice. Uh, uh, on astounding signs that were living in the end times and how crazy it is that Israel came here and how the ground is actually holy. Uh, like the dirt. Uh, and so this, she she starts talking about what what kind of has been happening here and i believe that um you know all these these ghost shows are stupid because they're all just manufactured basically horse shit and it jump scares and it's, it's ridiculous so not those but like the conjuring if you watch that series um you know you have this idea that a a place they the world calls it haunted, but where these things happen almost i I think almost get trapped in in almost a negative of film to where 
uh, not the souls of the people that, you know, you, when you die, you depart the ghosts wandering around aren't people who couldn't make it into, in, in, you know, it couldn't make it into the afterlife. That's, that's not what that is, but that is evil spirits uh, staying there and that energy and that aura of those really, when it comes down to blood sacrifice is it's always different than ritual magic or chaos magic, blood sacrifice is different. Again, you know what I'm going to say? Go back and listen to my series on Leviticus, and that will make sense to you. So she's talking about all these Canaanite altars found around there. Like this tribe, basically, I'll tell you, this tribe was different. Read the book. Uh, and then she she even starts going into the string theory, right? <laughs> Where, you know, what, what did uh, Einstein call it? Spooky action at a distance. And she even gets into that. Just so, so cool. So here's her key points on this one. Um, the Timakuans, I don't know if I'm saying that right. I've said it about eight different times, just so maybe one of them's right, had uh, aberrant marriage practices, uh, including polygamy. And on one occasion when Athore married his mother and had children with her. Well, that's not awesome. At no point in my life, guys, I just want to put this out there. I want to set the record straight. Have I wanted to have a child with my mom? Okay. I just want you guys, I feel better getting that off my chest. Uh, next one, village architecture of Timakuan is a circumpunct. Ooh, not good. Breastplates of Timakuan warriors and chiefs were circumpunks. Uh, Timakua worshipped the sun. They sacrificed their firstborn sons to the tribal chief as a representation of the sun god. That sucks. I'm thinking of these dads, right, that I always see. Uh, I had a daughter first. We had a daughter first, and then our next two were sons, and we're like, we're all set. We can put them all in a backseat. We're done. We don't need a minivan. We're good. But... I see these guys on Facebook that have like four daughters, you know, and they're, they're gunning for a son. Just all right, let's just mix it up a little. And some don't get it. And some do, but could you imagine if you finally did and Yama, you got to sacrifice that thing. Good gravy. All right. Uh, sacred ceremonies, including sorcery involved circumpunks, uh, Tomokoans, I think I said it differently yet again, met criteria for classification, classification as Nephilim hosts, tall stature, extraordinary strength, Sexual perversiveness, uh, incestual relations, child sacrifices, idol worship, occult blood rituals, sacred rituals, worshiping the sun, practice of sorcery, and heinous acts against other living beings. Uh, she says the land on Jekyll Island was defiled by sexual immorality, idolatrous worship, and bloodshed. An altar of offense was established through the false worship. Spiritual DNA released upon Jekyll Island releases a sound of dissonance that attracts spiritual darkness. That's where she was going with the string theory. The Nephilim agenda was disposited into the soil of uh, Jekyll Island. Now, there is, um, Kaysen was asking me the other day, uh, and she, she starts getting to, into the Europeans being on Jekyll Island and what that what that's going to do to it. Before, before I get into that, um, Kaysen asked me the other day, he was just asking me some questions on this stuff. He's starting to get into it, which I love. He's starting to ask this stuff. And so I started mentioning to him how um, I think, you know, the I think Interstellar did a great job uh, towards the end when Matthew McConaughey finally gets in to where all the strings are happening. And I won't give it away, but what that looks like and a little bit of what that represents, I thought they nailed it on that as far as my quantum physics goes, you know, which is the string theory and all. Um, so if you... I guess I'll explain it real quick. If you don't know what the string theory is, it's this idea that, um, you know, um, you, they found that you can do one thing to a molecule or an atom. Let's just say an atom and, uh, and an atom at the other entire end of the universe will react to it identically. Now, don't ask me a lot more on that because I haven't brushed up on it in a while. The idea is, is, you know, time is, and I was explaining this to Kaysen, time is a, a man-made thing. God doesn't exist in time. He doesn't need it. It doesn't even make, it doesn't even, it's going to be gone one day for us. Time is a convenience for us. We, we need to know time so we know uh, when to get up and what day it is and how not to be late to something. But time isn't a thing. So when you start working outside of time, uh, everything changes. And so we, I started telling Kaysen, I said, didn't, you know, you got to look into frequencies because our entire world is built on frequencies. Now, I'm 
I'm in my hotel right now. I'm looking out of this gorgeous pine forest here in Duluth, Georgia, uh, and I see a tree. Well, some people say we're in a simulation theory. Some people say we're in multi-universes. I don't really think either of those things are true. But what I'm looking at there is a tree, yes, but it's when you strip it all down, it's made up of frequencies and vibrations. And, and what particular order they are, I'm not a chemist, I'm not a scientist, but yeah. And, and then you start getting into the the A440 standard frequency. I think there's still a podcast out there. that It's actually A440. And they do some crazy uh, frequency stuff. Haven't listened to it for a hot minute, a couple of years. But the point is, the point is, is why am I getting off track? Just one nugget for another day. Who created the universe? All things. Jesus. And how did he do it? Did he get a magic bowl and crush some stuff up and incantations and all that? What did he do? He spoke it. His voice frequency created all. And how does he destroy the Antichrist? With his words. Frequency. What are all things built on? Jesus, the son of God, who John calls what? The word. There is a YouTube video of a guy who does some cool frequency stuff. And he takes a plate. I'm not sure what really it is like a record player almost, but I don't, I don't remember what this plate's made of. And then I think it's sand or something that he puts on it real thin, but covers the whole top as you can imagine that. So you have this plate and then it's all covered in sand and then he plays a violin bow against it and instantly it whips into these incredible geometry of shapes like a snowflake. And then he says, all right, here's what happens when I play this frequency from the piano. Boing. And it goes into a completely different, gorgeous picture. It will blow your mind. I know you want me to give you a link to that. How can I do that? Oh, crap, get my phone back out. All right. Um, let's see here. I was actually discussing this the other day. Really old friend of mine from high school. He graduated a few years before me, Steve Parmalee, actually. He knows I'm into this weird stuff. So he sent me, oh, it was on Insta. He sent me a DM of one of these things. Let's see, here it is. Okay. So he always sends me these goofy things back and forth, but okay. So cymatics is the science okay. of visible sound. Okay, so how do I stop it? Cymatics, C-Y, and I think this was sent from Instagram. He's got an Instagram thing, but C-Y and then Maddox, M-A-T-I-C-S. Yeah, so I'm watching him as he does these different frequencies and instantly this sand on this blue square plate thing whips into an incredible thing. It's just awesome. Let me see if I can find who this is. No. All right. That's all. I know we're live on air here, so I'll try to figure out if I, if you guys can't find that, whatever. All right. So she goes through and she, uh, cause, because the, the point is, is that once that's into a place or into the ground, you're going to have some problems there. And I won't get into the rabbit trail of what frequencies do at that point. Okay. Because, you know, there's notes. There's certain music that you can play that moves those frequencies into, into not a great light and are you know, basically black metal. Uses a lot of those progressions on purpose. You know, it's not the words that make satanic music. 
really evil. <laughs> it's the notes. And don't even get me started on how math works with that. All right. So that when I ever do an episode on all that stuff, I am going to probably have a guest on, someone that's really good at that stuff because I'm not. All right. So she starts talking. Uh, she starts moving into um, our modern day side of things here, right? And uh, 1910, it's time to return to the clandestine meeting. She says on November 22nd, 1910, under the cover of night, six men boarded a train in New Jersey bound for Jekyll Island. Remember this secrecy was thick in the air, like a heavy fog. These men were instructed to arrive separately at the New Jersey station to avoid curious onlookers and reporters to pretend they did not know each other and to use first names only to maintain anonymity. The curious residents of Jekyll Island were told that these men were gathered for a duck hunt. She goes back into the names of these turd buckets, which uh, a lot of them you would absolutely 100% realize or, uh, you know, hear them, know them as, you know, big magnates of American history. And what were they were doing? What were they doing? They were going to set up the uh, Federal Reserve. She's going to go into a deep dive now on some of the key players who they were, what they did, why they were invited to the duck hunt, which is awesome. And the fact that it took six years after the duck hunt <laughs> before the American public had any hint at all what actually took place on Jekyll Island. Forbes magazine founder, Bertie Charles Forbes, was the first to expose the clandestine gathering in 1916. And this is these are his words from 1916. Quote, picture a party of the nation's greatest bankers stealing out of New York on a private railroad car under cover of darkness, stealthily riding hundreds of miles south, embarking on a mysterious lunch, sneaking onto an island deserted by all but a few servants. Living there for a full week under such rigid secrecy that the names of not one of them was once mentioned. Lest the servants learn the identity and disclose to the world the strangest, most secret expedition in the history of American finance. Um, she goes on talking about Paul Warburg, obviously, and everybody that was there. And uh, how they how they basically does what she says, sleight of hand. So the Federal Reserve, as she's saying, is incredibly evil, meant to, like, built from secrecy in a way to enslave. And so you know how she goes, she goes at it. I'm going to take a drink of water here. When I just cover something over really quickly, she's gone paragraphs, if not pages, into it, which I love uh, that she does. But they were creating the illusion that the government, they had to hide this thing so that the government had oversight of this creature. But it didn't. So they even, even uh, to be deceptive even more, they take the word federal, which has nothing to do with that. Next, if they could create the illusion that the cartel was not enslaving American citizens with the responsibility of paying the debt created by this creature, they just might secure long life for this beast. So they chose the word reserve as a sleight of tongue to imply this is great, that this banking cartel had capital built up to provide stability to the banking world and the U.S. economy. They are not federal. They are not under federal scrutiny or uh, law at all. They are their own private thing. Uh, and they are in a reserve. The Federal Reserve is intended to deceive and confuse and enslave from the very beginning. So she starts talking about that sleight of hand and exactly... how they did it, what their motives were, and who these guys were. She has some stuff with Thomas Jefferson and Henry Ford. Let me tell you, those two screwed us over. I don't remember which episode of which podcast I was listening to the other day. Uh, 
where they were talking about the Thomas Edison and Henry Ford were, um, I think it was that Florida one. If you go back to the Moors and you're going to actually listen to that, I think, I think that was part of that where they lived down there. Um, and, uh, you know, more than likely were, uh, were not, not being, uh, not faithful to their wives. If you know what I'm saying, they were down there and, uh, very wealthy, obviously, um, Thomas Jefferson, Henry Ford, and they start going to the world fairs, which the world fair stuff gets into Tartarianism, which, you know, I don't want to, that, that's kind of, yeah. Um, but you know, the, the claim is that the world fairs were an absolute, um, smoke and mirrors for a lot of different reasons. Again, not the scope of this episode. So I'm going to stay away from that, but the Thomas uh, Jefferson and Henry Ford did go to that, the one world's fair. Um, and basically, the the idea they they left there in Model Ts, and they I forget what it was called. You can do your Google research, but they did this tour across America. They were the first ones to ever ride in cars across America, and it was this huge fanfare every time they would come into a town. Everyone knew that the the guy who brought you electricity and the guy who's bringing you the car. Oh, let me see these spectacles. And I don't remember how many were in their brigade, but they literally went across the country. It was super cool. Everybody cheered everywhere they went, but single-handedly, what, oh, I think the Firestone guy was there, whatever his first name was. Um, and uh, so so basically, what, what comes out of that trip, what they did was built the foundations of, number one, ongoing infrastructure, road construction that will never stop, that will always be taxed. Uh, and it's great because we got roads and eventually with Eisenhower, you know, right, we got like uh, highways and all that. So that's all good. I'm not complaining about that. I'm complaining that we're still paying for some turnpikes long after the fact. Uh, anyway, so, but what comes out of that is the entire, the entire industry of how the rest stops work, how, uh, on highways, every kind of intersection you get to has a bunch of hotels and now, restaurants and and how the entire hotel industry even operated. So it's really, it's really cool if you do a deep dive into that. But my point is everything's intentional. And my point is everything is to get you to go, Ooh, I want that and enslave you even to the point where Henry Ford sold his model T's for just enough money that all his people that worked there at Ford could afford one, but it wasn't so cheap that they, they couldn't, they could quit their jobs. They'd always have to work for him in order to pay for that model T. That's how I priced it specifically. Um, She says, during the final days of Christmas, 1913, while most people uh, were nestled in bed for a long winter's nap, what should occur in the halls of government but the most egregious act of cowardice for so-called patriots and the most sinister act of subversion from legislators who were brought by the international banksters. In In essence, Congress relinquished its constitutional right to coin money and to regulate its value. This is crazy, you guys. U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 5, quote, Congress shall have the power to coin money, regulate the value thereof, and fix the standard of weights and measures, unquote. Instead, this right was passed on to a private corporations and America's third central bank was born. Federal Reserve, Federal Reserve Act is signed into law by President Woodrow Wilson. Uh, three years after he did that, he makes this quote. He says, a great industrial nation is controlled by a system of credit. Our system of credit is concentrated. The growth of the nation, therefore, and all activities are in the hands of a few men. We have come to be one of the most ruled, one of the most completely controlled and dominated governments in the civilized world, no longer a government by free opinion, No longer a government by conviction and the vote of the majority, but a government by the opinion and duress of a small group of dominant men. Okay. A vast majority of Americans don't understand. There's a connection between the Federal Reserve and the federal income tax. And so she does a great job of taking that and exposing it. And this should be this should be uh, peak your interest right now, especially with interest rates. No pun intended on peaking your interest, right? Um, all right. <clears throat> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this to the book. But uh, she starts getting in 
pretty deep on the Federal Reserve and, and exactly how they operate and it, how it comes down to, you know, they tell you you owe $2, but what really happens to that? So I, I love that. If you're interested, she's going through all the percentages. That's why, like, I don't know. I just feel like if I would write a book like this, I would, I, you know, the stuff that I was really good on, I, I'd go at it. And the stuff that I didn't know, I'd just kind of like, juggle a little bit and make some jokes, but it's like every freaking, every chapter that she does, she's like, she's got her PhD in that alone, which is hats off to her. So she has a section here called debt enslavement. Um, I don't know if I want to read this or not now, but you, you see where she's going there. There's all these old timey pictures that she has in there. You know how artists used to, your cartoonists would do this thing where they have this octopus coming out of the ocean and each arm is a different thing. Like in the head is the federal reserve and stuff like that. And, and how they created the great depression and how they changed, uh, how they enslaved man coming out of that. And I believe COVID was part of that too, by the way, you guys, I think COVID was uh, one of the, the pandemic was one of the next steps well, I believe in the virus. Well, obviously, I know it was there, and I, obviously, I know people died. Or I'm, I, uh, I, I would just say that, you know, that was definitely a run, in order to see what, what, how much they can take away, and we'll just deal with it. Um, and that is a very broad stroke on that, but that is what I believe. Um, so she's going into uh, uh, uncovering the uh, the the roots of this, everything that's happening and tracing it back to the Nephilim. And again, she's saying, <clears throat> anytime you see something and it has an overarching um, aura of lust, treason, deceit, usury, greed, rebellion, and pride, a lot of times that can be triggered out of your DNA. And it works the same way I think it's that frequency thing. Uh, I think there's, there's, um, and some of that frequency we have, we have um, inside of us, we have these generational and even, you know, you can call it a Nephilim trait, trait, right? Inside of each of us that um, there's, there's a different evil and different sin for each, for each one of us that triggers something in us. Uh and for those that let's say let's say you get you get knee deep in stealing maybe embezzling money you know you go all ozark or whatever and 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 if that's the trigger for your trait and you're inviting that in <clears throat> you will see all these other horrific things happening in your life uh where someone else that is embezzling can be on a yacht somewhere. But for them, it may be something different. I don't know if I'm explaining this well, but for them, it, uh, it may be, it may be what triggers them is when they start deceiving and they start treating, you know, lying and, and treating people like dirt and garbage. And that starts triggering some other effects in their life. Uh, for others, I can tell you specifically, it's certain kinds of porn uh, that that triggers that in them, and you'll start seeing a lot of other things in their life start to fall apart as a coincidence. So she's looking at that Nephilim trait, and she brings out that um, that awesome. Um, like a family tree chart again, and at the top are the Nephilim, and then the Raphaim, and then and then under them are like eight people, which are you know biblical things like Arba, Memes, Amzumin, Horites, Avim, Amorites, and then so she traces it all down. But from the Horites and the Edomites, remember again back from back to Esau uh, and the spirit of the red one, the red Edomites, she draws off these two different things, and Rome being a part of that. And then the Kazarians, the Jews, this is where the Cabal comes into. Then it drops down to the Rothschilds. It drops down to Jacob Schiff and Paul Warburg. And then from there, it drops down to the Federal Reserve. And from there, it drops down to the Federal Reserve note. Um, so that's where she's that's where she's going. And she didn't just make it up. 
I think she's really onto something. And I think that we are really in trouble in America. She goes back in, which we talked about the Brenton Woods agreement. I think Brad Luring and I talked about that back on um, whatever episode that was. Um, but the fact that a major flaw in the Brenton Woods system is that there's no limits placed on the Federal Reserve with regard to currency creation. You know, we've all asked that. We've all laughed about that. Uh, so we're just making money. And we are. You know, the military spends money. And I'm glad they do. I just saw a meme, a chart the other the, today, uh, why the United States is ranked as the number one military. military. Well, some things didn't surprise me. Uh, as far as the category of um, atomic bombs – I knew that Russia had more than us, so I was right on that. But as far as people, China's got more than us in their military. But where where it's just so ridiculously lopsided, guys, and I've talked about this before, number one, our planes, our aircraft, we are, I mean, there's nobody in the stratosphere. And even more so, our aircraft carriers. Um, I don't remember the specific numbers, but let's say America, let's say we have Let's say we have 28 aircraft carriers um, and every other nation, the next is like two, two, four, two, you know, so, and the submarines, we have a ton more. We're just talking, these are dominance things. But what I was surprised at, what I didn't know is the last category on this chart on this list, the United States being at the top and then the next, you know, um, I think it was China was next and then Russia and so forth. But the last category over to the right was uh, budget, <laughs> And, and I think we were, it was astronomical. I think there were nine, nine layers of numbers there, like in the trillions. Uh, And then everybody else was just way, like not even in the same universe. So holy crap, we just, we make up money. Want to do something? We make up money. And again, I'll be having Brad Learning back on this episode where we talk about some of this and him being in charge of a lot of the money at um, at an Air Force base. Now, he can't disclose any of that fun stuff, but uh, he is a wealth of information when it comes to how this works and how it doesn't work. So again, don't go to the debt clock. <laughs> we don't want you looking at that again. Good grief. That's depressing. She says, I love this. The Federal Reserve is slippery because they are not an agency of the United States government, so they can bail out foreign banks while strapping Americans with invisible tax called inflation, which we're dealing with right now, and they can get away with it. The Fed knows that they can dance around questions that Congress asks, and they won't have to answer to the president of the United States. You know, they're giving a ton of unneeded aid to Ukraine. Sure, we can help them out, but they are what they're doing is unnecessary, and we're all paying for it. I don't mind taxes. I don't mind like paying to live here and be under the protection of our great military and our great police and firefighters and first responders. Like I get taxes. But when inflation is soaring simply, you know, that is debt being put on you and I just so they can go play around with unnecessary things and no one can stop them. All right. So let me read the keys on here, the key points. There's like 12 of them. This will help. And then uh, we're almost, we're pretty close. Uh, Congress relinquished its constitutional right to coin money in 1913 by passing the Federal Reserve Act. Here you go, guys. You guys handle it all. <laughs> The Fed has the appearance of a decentralized system with 12 regional banks, but the FRBNY holds the majority of the power. These are all things that she covered that I skipped. Fed is an independent agency made up of privately owned banks that benefit themselves for the foreign for their foreign customers. The Fed's monetary policy decisions truly affect the financial lives of all Americans. The Federal Reserve note is an IOU. The product of the Federal Reserve is debt. The motive of the six men was to create an institution of human slavery to carry out predatory money lending practices. Usury is a hallmark trait of the seed of, she goes back to the Satan, uh, the whole usury thing. Since 1913, the U.S. monetary policy gradually moved away from the sound money backed by gold. In 1944, the U.S. dollar became the first reserve currency. 
1971, Nixon severed the tie between the U.S. dollar and gold. So the U.S. dollar has been a fiat currency ever since. And if you remember our last episode with Brad Luring, that just means we got paper money. Sweet. Well, it's, it's backed by gold, right? So it's like however much money you have in the bank, you're thinking, hey, at some point, I mean, I can go get that money out of the bank. Almost like it's actually there in their vault, even though it's not. But the idea is it's not backed by anything. So technically, you could go to the bank to get something out, and they could say, I'm sorry, we just don't have it. I know. Uh, Greed is a powerful force that entices bankers, investors to engage in moral hazards. And this goes back into opening up those certain genes, right? The, uh, the, uh, those certain, um, crap, what are they called? doesn't matter. Uh, patterns and all that. And they're in people's genetic lives, um, epigenetic markers. Uh, the Fed tries to skirt transparency and accountability. The Great Recession exposed the Federal Reserve's priority out of benefiting its own interests and foreign interests before the interests of the American people. So that's where she's going. She's going at it pretty good. Uh, so she goes in and she talks about, you know, she wants, she talks about the masterminds politically of those times and even the 60s and the 70s, uh, secret societies that are even involved that have the circumpunct as their main deal, New World Order. And she's doing a great job uh, of this, which I won't, I won't go into, but she's taking it all back to Genesis 10 and Nimrod. <laughs> and, uh, the book of Revelation, the Antichrist coming from one world government, like that's what this is all about. Boy, does she do a good job of looking at some of these cults, the Illuminati. She starts doing a deep run on uh, them, which we've covered before, and how they have to do with the Federal Reserve. Uh, Freemasonry, she gets off. I mean, she's she's going at it. The Jesuits, that's good stuff right there. The protocols, um, yeah. This is, uh, I'm just laughing. She's got great pictures in here depicting, you know, a lot of the stuff. And now she's going to go into the dollar bill. Obviously, you've all seen the things of the Illuminati uh, symbols, the triangle, the all-seeing eye, and the dollar bill. And there's way more we can go into that. Uh, you know, everybody, I don't know. If, if you have this idea of American history that all of our all of our founders were just great Christian men, they did this, that's not true at all. It's not. It's not true at all. I've been saying that for 20 years, and people used to say I was crazy. Now they're starting to slowly go, oh, like homosexuality. I'm not, I'm not saying out of all of them, but I'm saying, you know, child, uh, uh, not sacrifice. Well, I mean, some, some have been accused of, but the, um, the slave trade uh, with children Obviously, the Freemasonry and Illuminati side of it, um, oh boy. Not to say we're we're not a Christian nation, but, oh yeah, I think it was the one with the Moors guys and the Florida thing. Again, like, again, this was just a fire hose. Like, you don't even know where to go with this. You don't even know what to, you don't even know what to do with this information that's being shot out of this dude. Uh, <clears throat> I... It, it, I don't know what to make out as true or fact, but there is some truth. There is a lot of truth in there. So, because I've researched it since, I mean, like, what was he? Oh, wow. What was he talking about? That's crazy. Uh, anyway, so um, she goes back into the symbolism of the shape of that shell, and she's attaching that to the all-seeing eye, she's she's basically taking what's in the ground at Jekyll Island, right? What, what's been happening through all those sacrifices and then across the world as you see that obelisk and that dome and, and you see these circumpunks and how it made its way onto our money for a reason and uh, how FDR, who was a Freemason, brought that pyramid in and brought all of all of the signs that we see again on the Federal Reserve note tributes to Lilith the queen of heaven remember that screech owl that we talked about uh <clears throat> um, excuse me uh, I'm going to take a drink of water here we go live on air the seed war of the human genome you know chasing to to end the Christ the Great Pyramid, Temple of Osiris. So she's taking everything that's on the dollar and she's saying, guys, there's so much more to this. It has to do with worship of Baal, again, and Semiramis and Nimrod. I love 
I love how deep she goes on this stuff. She even has, so she's got this, the roots of the Federal Reserve. She's got this triangle laid out on a giant map of the world between London, the Vatican, and Washington, D.C. And she even talks about what, what evilness is within that triangle. Now, this is going with ley lines, sort of, but uh, very interesting. Let me see if I want to read these key points because there's a lot of them. Um, no, get the book. Uh, her final chapter uh, towards the end here is called Freedom. And, uh, I, you know, she just gives into this amazing whole Bible diatribe and how we can pray for uh, a covering and and how we can, you know, what we can do as a nation. So that's going to that's gonna end this, but I'm not, I'm not done yet, but I mean, that's going to end. I want to leave that last part of, of the book uh, to you. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have even gone this far on these, but I just thought it was so good and so revolutionary to so many of the things that she was talking about. And I'm sure the next, the, the next move that she makes, I'm guessing, uh, when it comes to whatever she writes or whatever she does, is probably going to follow along those ley lines in the <clears throat> um, epigenetics side of things. I'm losing my voice here at the end. But uh, <clears throat> I'm excited to see where she goes. This is this is all exposing an idea for that you need to wake up. You need to open your eyes. You and I. Again, we're busy. I got a volleyball game for my kid today. I got to mow my grass. I got to wash my car. I got to go to work. I got to watch Netflix. Listen to the blurry photos with Timothy Abarino from, I think, sometime in either December, um, probably December of late 2022 there you'll see it and uh if those of you listening to this episode in in years to come it's a good one it'll it'll set you it'll set your mind straight on that path now other things that i want to do here in the near future like i said i want to I start doing kind of some one-offs on some crazy weird subjects that i think you guys will find fascinating uh i don't i don't think i'm going to trudge through a book again right now because uh i just want some original stuff you know what i mean no main firm so you got any suggestions, you let me know at uh, drilling.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, I freaking love you, wackos.